Hello, everyone. Really exciting day today. This show is airing on Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020, and I'm interviewing one of my best friends who also, luckily enough, he inspires me every day. His name is Rick Alexander. Rick is a former Navy SEAL turned philosopher and author, and he's also one of the instructors of the trials, which is our life alignment course for men, which is open for enrollment right now until December 11th. But also today, he's holding a free virtual workshop at 5 p.m. Pacific, which is 8 p.m. Eastern, called The Role of the Individual, where Rick is going to be walking through the stages that research has shown are necessary to cultivating a really meaningful life. And at each step of the process, he's going to be giving you exercises as well as a Q&A at the end to make sure that the information is really tangible and easily applied to your life. And he's going to explore with you some of the major forces that tend to block our path to meaning and fulfillment, including fear, imposter syndrome, and lack of direction. So if you're experiencing any of these things at the moment, this is going to be a great workshop for you. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to attend that because at the same time, at 5 p.m. Pacific, the Grace and Grit team and I are going to be hosting a webinar for women to reclaim their personal power. So both events are totally free and you can find Rick's at thespecialforcesexperience.com slash 2020 to register for that. And the place to find where to register for the women's webinar will be at mygraceandgrit.com. And again, this is for December 2nd, 2020 at 5 p.m. Pacific. We hope to see you there, but for now, enjoy this show with Rick Alexander. I probably changed so much in the last like 10 years. It's always hard to know my deal. <laughs> you know, like, who, Or like people ask me like, what do you do? It's like that uncomfortable. I remember I was with Danielle, my partner's family out to dinner and they asked me like, what do you do? And it's like, well, I have some projects I'm, I'm interested in right now that I'm like working through. Um, but I write and I speak. Um, I really you do. You sound love- like such a homeless guy, like meeting your fiance's parents for the first time. They're like, yeah, this guy is great for our daughter. <laughs> okay. Well, that's actually perfect because when I met Danielle, I was homeless <laughs> by choice. I, I just like, after I got out of the military, I like moved in my car and like drove around and just like experienced a ton and was writing a book. And, and then it hit me that I was that homeless veteran that all those memes were about. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) Congratulations. What did that feel like? Uh, Felt great. Felt great. I was like, we're not doing as bad as you think. No, I don't know. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I just really wanted to experience life in that way. I think after, you know, in the military, you're so, you're so tethered to the system and to things that, that other people value. And so in, in order to like, once I got out, I felt like I had to freely experience that feeling of just not being tethered for a little bit. And then you come back and you figure out where you want to be grounded. And, and now I don't have so much phobia around being grounded. You know, it's like once you get to experience something, it kind of takes away its power to like allure you into it. Yeah, totally. I'm sorry I interrupted your lengthy bio. I'm sure you're going to give us, which oh, I'm joking because I- Rick never gets into himself very much. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a writer and a speaker and um, maybe sometimes adventure and aspiring lover. I'd say that's probably what I'm doing these days. I like that you say aspiring lover. What does that mean? Mm. You know, I've had a few, I guess I've had a few circumstances in the last year where it's like, I realized that like love isn't this, you know, hippie sort of untethered, ungrounded thing that we can talk about, but doesn't make any sense in the real world. Like I've started to come to the realization that like, it's the most grounded way we can 
change our lives in the immediate moment. There's this like interesting part at the end of the Bible's New Testament where like Jesus just keeps saying like, you know, follow my command. And the command is this, basically, he says, you know, love your, love your neighbor as yourself and, and basically see yourself as somebody worthy of love. And you say like, that, that sounds like good thing, like just a, a good idea. But when you really live that out, it like starts, there's a fundamental shift that happens at the center of who you are. And you start to realize that a lot of the, the games that the world plays, you, you're not obligated to play anymore. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I've been pursuing love as this idea that it's like, you know, that this is something, this is almost the substructure of who we are. And if we can ground ourselves in what it really, really means to love yourself and to love somebody else from that place, you can build a much better reality. Whereas if you look out in the world now, it's like, we're all talking about unity and we think it's like, well, we have to agree in order to find unity. And it's like, well, if that's what unity is, us having the same opinion, we, we will never get there. And anytime we do, it will be on borrowed time anyway. But maybe we could ground ourselves in the fact that, that there's something sacred about being a human being. And if I could love you in that way, regardless of what comes out of your mouth, regardless of what your opinions are, we're at least in a place where we can start working toward a solution that works for everybody. Instead, we're, we're just sort of hoping we all agree and it's kind of madness. Mm, wow. My gosh, we're just getting right into this, aren't we? One of the things that I want to like rewind a little bit is that you're studying at a seminary now and you've gone through this process of having more or less, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but like a, a wounded religious experience at, while you were young, like many of us do. And then went through the process of discovering philosophy and many other religions. And now you're finding yourself like re rediscovering Christianity. And that um, has flowed now into your podcast, um, Morning Coffee with Rick Alexander, which is such a freaking good podcast, by the way, if you guys are looking for other things to fill your days with. Can you explain a little bit about that journey from from that wounded religious experience to go through the military to like finding yourself at a, at a seminary. Which is yeah. So cool. Yeah. One of the ways that we, you know, it's interesting. We have these people that every once in a while, every couple millennia, they come along and they exude love in some way. And we try to figure out how we can get that amount of love. And so what we do is we create a bunch of rules and a bunch of, we, okay, they act like this. So if we do this thing, we'll get there. Okay. And then this thing. And so that fundamentally is almost how religions are built, right? It's all of these building blocks to get to this person who exudes this, this amount of love in some way. Um, and, you know, that's great. And the ego loves that because it's like, okay, this is something I can understand. You know, love is sort of this big topic. God is this big topic that, that is like very hard to understand. And so you follow a certain set of rules in order to get there. And that's what religion is. And so I grew up with that set of rules. And so I was given a value system, but it wasn't necessarily my own. One of the things uh, my partner Danielle was talking about the other day is she finds that a lot of her clients, when they feel guilty for something, they're, it's actually they're carrying somebody else's value system. And so, you know, if you've had Protestant guilt or Catholic guilt or just really any kind of guilt from being told there's a way to be in the world and then having your natural impulse be against that some way. You create this sort of inner war. And so basically this happened for me, this inner war at a really young age and 
sort of created a fracture in my psyche until I got to the point where I'm in the military, my best friend dies, and like my whole world just starts whirling, like nothing makes sense. None of the one line answers work, none of the scriptures work anymore. And so I had to like completely reject that. And then I had to go through the darkness of living without design, without, without there, without seeing the way that my individual path is uh, responsible for the unfolding of creation in some way. And, you know, one of the ways we create meaning in this life is we see our story nested within a larger story. And that's one of the re reasons that religion has worked for so long to help people create meaning. Uh, but I had to go through not having that and really feeling un untethered and unattached. And I really like, you know, let all of these other parts of myself be exposed to the world. And I had to get to a point then where I realized, okay, so whatever I'm doing on my own isn't working. Like I keep pursuing all of these things, these parts of success. And I would say for the listener, like if you are someone really, really motivated, notice when you achieve something, how quickly the achievement becomes irrelevant in your life. And so I kept noticing that, I kept noticing that. And I think that was the starting ground for me to be like, there's gotta be something different or more. And so I've been on this really interesting path, but yeah, it was just the recognition that a bunch of rules weren't, you, you cannot, you cannot force love. You cannot make something like that work. And so you can follow the rules. You can tell yourself and it will work all the way up until it doesn't, you know, it's like telling yourself you love yourself. It's like, it's a good idea until you realize you hate yourself. And then now you have now you don't know what to do because the thing you're doing doesn't work. And so I find that we have to like live our way into these experiences. And so my last few years has really been a lot of me just discovering how to, yeah, you know, how to live my way into that experience. Your most recent book, Ambitious Heroes and Heartache, sounds like the perfect title of somebody who's experienced those achievements and have felt that disappointment of how like, it dissipates so quickly. Do you think that people need to experience levels of achievement in order to have that aha moment? Yeah, you know, I know that I had to play the game to realize that it was one. Like I had to get the hollow achievement. And then, now this is the key, right? Like we, you, you're va you value something in life. So you're gonna go after whatever you're gonna go after already. You've already, you have an internal guidance system, right? And so whether it's money or success or whatever, I think you have to go for that thing, uh, unfortunately, because like I said, you can't be, I can't tell you to love yourself, right? Since that's not how this stuff works. So yeah, I do think there's an amount of just sort of going down the road. And, and then the adventure is being honest with yourself about what you find. You know, the, the greatest adventure that I've ever lived, and I'm such, I live for adventure. And the greatest adventure I've lived is actually being honest with myself about what's not fulfilling me anymore. You know, and then that starts this whole other process. I think a lot of us, though, we get the quiet desperation and then we try to shove it back down inside or try to achieve more or do more. And it becomes this pathology. And you just realize that there's never an amount that's going to satisfy. You are forever going to have your solution right around the corner. And every marketer out there knows that and they're going to tell you about it and they're going to tell you they have what completes you. And the whole time you'll actually have it, but you won't, you won't be willing to look for it. And so I think it's being really honest with yourself when things aren't working for you. You know, it's like, you know, you, you hear this thing, love thy Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. If you don't, you don't. So what, what's going on? Be honest with yourself about that thing. Don't live a lie for 80 years and then 
hope it works out, right? I mean, I, I would say just be super honest with yourself and then allow that to push you into a deeper experience of this life. Why do you think that so many people are dishonest with themselves? Like being honest sounds like such a no brainer. What's the alternative there that's more easy, easier? Yeah. If you're honestly unhappy about what you've been pursuing, what you might find in that admittance of yourself is that now your whole, the whole like kind of ground of your reality starts to feel really unstable. So humans, in order to make sense of their world, have to have a sense of psychological coherence. And all that is, is it just means that we look for why things are happening and we, we kind of have to like have some sort of a decent reason, like this plus this always has to equal this in our mind. Right. And if it doesn't, then everything else that our reality is built upon in our mind becomes up for question. So you can imagine you come home and your wife tells you that she's been cheating on you or your husband, right? The question is, or the thing you begin to think is like, okay, I thought I knew her and I don't. Oh, well, I know myself in relation to her. So maybe I don't even know me. And so maybe this entire world life that I'm living is actually a lie. And so what happens is one Jenga block is pulled, but actually all of your thoughts are really built upon other thoughts. And so it can be inherently destabilizing. And sometimes you find people that are really dogmatic about a certain religion and they are, you wonder why they care about certain things, right? Like for example, the church I grew up in was really against gay marriage, but as a kid, you don't have, I'm just like, why? I don't understand why you care. Like, I don't understand why you care what these people do. I really, like, I can't figure it out. And it's interesting. And it's because, well, one reason might be, uh, and hopefully this doesn't offend too many people, but one reason might be that you've constructed your reality in a way in which it's wrong. And so if it becomes okay, and then nothing happens, what else have you constructed incorrectly about your reality? And so it starts to pull at all of these different threads. And uh, unfortunately, like, I just, I pulled out one and I'm so curious. It was like, well, what about this? And so, oh, God. <laughs> whole, yeah, right. And so then the whole thing crumbles, but, but it's, it's rock bottom though. It sucks. You know, it will do you the, the favor of clarifying all the things in your life that you don't care about. And so if you pull a few threads, you know, if you scratch that scab and it, and it ends up in a rock bottom moment, that's also okay. You know, like, Everyone loves the Phoenix tale until they realize that they're the ones burning. But that is how it works, right? Like you, you do go through that burning process and you do have to sacrifice the parts of yourself that are not going to serve this better life. Um, but we're very resistant to discomfort in this culture. So it's, it's pretty hard to do. Something that I've been believing to be true lately is that the more you understand the the wider your consciousness expands, the more you're capable of feeling pain and suffering on mm. just many different levels. It, do you think that's true or? When you say consciousness expansion, what are you referring to? Like just awareness? Understanding the polarities of everything. Yeah. Mm. The awareness. Just becoming more aware of the cosmos you inhabit kind of. Yeah. And being less able to identify with anything because you kind of get a lot of things. Yeah. There's an interesting moment that's happened to me on psychedelics. I don't know if you've had this experience as well, but there's a, there's been, I've heard other people talk about it. It's like you see suffering in the world or in your life or whatever it is, whatever you're going through in this trip, but you see suffering and it's not that it's okay, but then there's like this 
level of understanding that it's that maybe it is okay not it's so hard to say because from my human mm-hmm. self right like you don't condone suffering like nothing sucks more than suffering in this world I hate it and my whole path has been learning to accept it and bear it but I think that there are perspectives in which you realize that like maybe maybe it still all goes together for the greater good in some way that you just have to hold space that you you can't understand with your sort of finite awareness Mm, yeah that's a that's a better refinement of what I've been thinking so it's it's less that you experience more suffering and then you feel it harder it's just like you become more aware of when it comes up and then you allow it to happen. And that awareness of the suffering, at least to me, makes it a more um, common theme now. But I bet if I placed myself in my 10, 10 years ago, Jessica, I didn't think I suffered, but I just wasn't aware of it. It was just always playing in the background in some kind of muted form. Yeah, you said something to me when we were in uh, Costa Rica one time, you were like, you know, in Western culture, we have this idea that healing is comfort, like your mom Mm -hmm. kisses your boo boo and puts a band aid on it. And like, you take anti-emetics or Tylenol and like, so healing for us is comfort. And then what that experience that we had in Costa Rica realized, helped me realize, and now I've started to realize it in my whole life that actually through pain is a more is, is also a, a direct route to healing. Mm, yeah there's a great quote by Richard Rory says that uh great transfer there are only two paths to transformation in life through great love or through great suffering and so sometimes I think we learn to learn through pain and then sometimes we choose to and sometimes we're thrust into it um but recognizing that great suffering and great love can both be paths of transformation and so if you can hold space for the fact that yes you're suffering and also maybe it's okay you know, like if you can just, you don't have to know why it's okay. You, but maybe if you can just bear it long enough, you find that you don't need to escape, you know? It seems like that can be a very lonely experience, especially given the circumstances we're being handed right now. Um, so much isolation the even the connection that I'm having with you on this screen, I can't help but feel like there's just a bit of it missing because we can't be face and face to face. I mean, like I know we would hang out face to face, just literally we're you know kind of far apart. Right. Um, but uh, you had mentioned something before our call or before I started recording here about the role of the individual during this time, especially in this time of like collective suffering, collective what the fuck is going on. Um, can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, what I found, and maybe the listener can can ask themselves if they found something similar, but what I found is like, you know, if you tune into the chaos that's happening in the world right now, and there, there's no doubt we're going through something. And I think it hasn't, we're not at the bottom, unfortunately. I think we're still spiraling. Like we still haven't hit that, that burn moment. Um, but one of the things that I had to figure out is, what am I responsible for in all of this? Like, what am I here to do? Because if you're, if your job is to solve all of the problems that you're tuning into, you're frustrated, you're confused, and also it's not doable. And so you stay in that place of frustration and confusion. And so I think that so many people are frustrated and confused with the political climate. I mean, with every single aspect of it. And one of the things that I've personally found is if you can figure out, but what are you spur specifically here for like what's your work you know if you can figure that out you can focus on it and you don't have to get dragged into 
the madness. Like you're not obligated to participate in madness. You're just not. But, but in order to know that, I think you have to figure out what you really value and like what your work really is. Mm. So you said you're not obligated to participate in the madness, but in order to not bypass the madness, like what's, what's the strategy there? Cause it's, it's happening. What's yep. our job here? Well, I think you should, I think, you know, we talk all this idea about consciousness and awareness and it's like, well, what does that mean? What it means is pay attention, like pay mm-hmm. attention to what's actually happening, not what you're being fed. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was in the military and I was deployed and I was involved in this like sort of double suicide kind of thing. I wasn't involved, but I was staying in the barracks. And so they, they had to like basically, you know, evacuate the, the base and stuff like while they figured out what was happening. Um, and so what's interesting is then they have the, the base all caution taped. And I watched a segment on Fox News that they were reporting an attack on this base. Like they were showing what happened and they were not telling the story that was happening. And it hit me in that moment that like, oh, whatever it is that they serve, whatever their agenda is, it's not mine. And so you are you talking about media? Like they're like literally? Totally. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, the news just, and, and I, everyone talks about the news like negatively. And, but I think we don't really understand the full degree to which they're just not serving the same thing that the individual person is serving. Like they're serving profit and they're serving, you know, their bottom line essentially. And so if that's what you're in service to, if money's what you're in service to, then you're going to make decisions that support that highest value. And unfortunately what that means is that you, you're going to scare the shit out of people in order to keep them watching you. And everybody knows that, but I do not think we understand the route, like the, the true depth to which it happens. It's like you're, you hope you're being informed about the world, but there's also a chance you're not at all, not at all. Right. And that's what I found in when I saw that news segment. And so I just, I came to this realization that, if that, if you get your temperature based on what the news is telling you or what somebody else is telling you, not to what you're noticing, you might find that it's not the right temperature. And so the reason I say that is right now in the U.S. anyway, we have this, this infighting between going back and forth between like the right and the left, I guess. But then you go out in the world, right? And you talk to people and you help people with their groceries and you see people on the street and they don't want to fight, that's not the world they're interested in. And what I think is happening is our world is being hijacked by these groups of people who quite honestly don't understand what they actually want uh, or think that what they want is what they want and probably will find out that they don't once they take that to its logical endpoint. But the other day I watched CNN and Fox News each and I was trying to like figure out, okay, what are they saying here? And so they were saying what their issue is, but then they said, and also like, you know, it's, it's, their, it's their fault. So Fox News says, they don't just report on, is there voter fraud? They say, there's voter fraud and they, them, they're trying to steal your country. And then you go on CNN and you say, there, there's no voter fraud and they, they're trying to steal your country. And so what you see this like implied they, them argument is that there's an enemy here and we must rise up. And then you go out in your world and you realize none of that, like that's, that's half true, if anything, right? And so- I guess what I'm getting at is just be grounded in your actual life. Don't take for granted what you're being told because it might not be true at all. You've spent a lot of time overseas. um, So you probably knew this, but 
I had no idea that so many other countries watch American news. Did you know that? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think so many other countries watch American everything. Okay. Well, I, I had no idea, you know, like growing up in LA, I thought that everybody talked like me and, you know, like, oh, they, they film all the movies where I live. It's just normal mm. to, to live in this place where media and life is just sort of like, it is what it is. It had such a big impact. Um, I was, I'm so much more disappointed in the American media because they probably know this, you know, they're not me. And still they're, they're not taking responsibility for what their money making like agenda is on the impact of the entire world. Like I'm so disappointed. And also I get super triggered while I'm in Canada and the perception of Americans is like, we're insane, mm. you know? And I wish I could take some of these people and put them into the, the Safeway grocery store and just be like, we're so normal. We don't want this either. But like, when we're watching the news, like, like my parents watch the news all the time. Um, and so I often will ask them like, what's going on? Because I kind of, re- I, I do respect their filter um, for these sorts of things, but it's, it's like, at, like, how is it possible to even disassociate yourself from the news, you know, air quotes from like these organizations that are designed to tell us what's actually happening. Like it literally sounds like, the stories of these dictators I'm listening to this podcast called real dictators. It's really mm. good. Um, but listening to like general Mao and Stalin and Kim Jong-il, it, like I, I don't mean to be dramatic or anything. What we're experiencing is, is propaganda for the yes. sake of these businesses. So, I mean, how do we, this is a question for you. How do we as Americans or Canadians or any like, person who thinks they're free continue to let this happen like how long can this continue to happen before we're not free right right and so i mean that's the road we're on which is i think why you know if you were to compare the u.s to like Maoist china people would be like you're ridiculous right (laughs) but that's actually not the right question the question is what thought process got them there that's the question you want to ask and then you say is that thought process here. So in the 1920s in America, it was actually really popular to believe that there was a superior race. Like that just hadn't brought to, hadn't been brought to its like death, you know, to its ultimate bloody conclusion yet. And so it was a thing that people believed and talked about. And then Germany happens and everybody's like, whoa. And so we, we win that war, but we never scoop the belief system out, right? We just win the war and we say, we can never do that again. But you have to understand like everything you believe has an endpoint. And so it's worth figuring out what you believe, what that endpoint is so that you can figure out, do I want to actually walk there? You know? And so I think, and this is what I'm seeing. Uh, I actually have pictures on my phone, us weekly time. I saw some other magazines, basically a picture of put a picture of Biden and said, now we unite. Mm. No, that's not united. That's agreeing. That's not what united is. If you and I don't agree to be united, it won't have happened. Like if it doesn't happen at an individual level, it won't have happened at all. And so part of this is realizing that it, it is our responsibility to see people as human beings and to do your work so that you can see people as human beings. Because if you don't, it won't have happened. It does not matter what the leader says. Like it, if it, happen, it has to happen independent of the leadership, it has to happen independent of the leadership. And that's been a bit of my message lately is like, we don't understand the power 
with which we actually have, you know, we're breathing energy into our life all the time with every decision we make with that, you know, a good way to think about it. We get on the highway. I, I was actually driving with my sister like uh, last year, someone cuts us off and she's like, ah, oh, idiot, you know? And, and so I asked her, I'm like, well, do you know that person? Right. It's like, no. And so the whole like cliche bullshit, but then the thing <laughs> that actually matters is I'm like, listen, you might be right. They might be an idiot. And so what have you won? You live in a world full of idiots. And so maybe it's worth it to go a little bit long, like to go a little, to dig a little deeper and find nuance and find perspective and find understanding because it's the world you live in and you're breathing energy into this world that you're in with your actions every single day. And I think, you know, when I, I think people maybe think that it's just not reasonable. It's like, well, I will when they do. And it's like, nobody wins this game, mm. right? We just have to stop and just change now. Or, or we don't just change, but we have to stop and recognize that it is our responsibility to create the fabric of our existence. I had a, a friend ask me, in, a Canadian friend asked me, like, why there are only two political parties and why we're not, you know, creating more middle ground because in Canada they have like five or six or something like that. Right. And like, that makes sense. I just don't know how that's going to happen from the top down because it's a business Republicans are a business, Democrats are a business, and I'm pissed off at both, and libertarian isn't the answer, and neither is whatever else, Green Party, you know, like whatever little ones we have there, neither is Kanye West. Right. The problem is all of us in the middle, which is most people, which is why I'm Mm -hmm. telling people, pay attention, like go talk to people, right, and pay attention to what people actually are. They're not represented by these two parties at Mm -hmm. all, right? Like Trump doesn't reflect my value system in the least. And neither does Biden. And it would be a complete betrayal of my value system to support either of those people. But we've normalized the lesser of two evils. You can't normalize the lesser of two evils and think you're going to be able to walk to a place of goodness. That doesn't work that way, right? And we've been on this road for a really long time. And so I do, I kind of agree with what you're saying, like from the top down, it's just not going to happen that way. I don't know if you know Brett, Brett Weinstein or Eric Weinstein, either of the brothers, but mm. anyway, they're, they're like, economists and one's an evolutionary biologist. Anyway, they tried to start a movement for middle ground when this polarization happened. And like they got Twitter, like blocked their account and banned them. And like all this interesting stuff happened. And it's like, you see how deeply this, this whole thing goes, like how much there is to, if you're ever looking at the world and you're shaking your head, you're wondering like, how the fuck is this happening right now? Walk it back to figure out who's getting paid. There's somewhere, 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 people are getting paid. I I was told one time, you know, your social issues, you can get over time if you stay with it, like gay marriage, like all all the social issues, equality and stuff. You'll get those if you stay persistent. But if you go after someone's wallet, stand by because it ain't going to happen. And that's interesting, right? Like you can go after, you can work on legalizing gay marriage, but you you will not go after big pharma. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to think of how the world works and how really it is driven by this, by this money. But like, you're not obligated to participate. You're voting with your dollars, with your time, you're creating the world. I think that what our responsibility is as individuals is to contribute to the world that we want to be a part of. It can't be more than that. That's what it is. But we have to actually do that part. Mm, yeah. Um, have you ever, have you started your podcast on Weird But True yet? No, no, I haven't yet. 
know, I know you're kind of busy. So many projects and like <laughs> I've been trying to, yeah, no, I haven't. Okay. I'm going to keep poking you on that one because okay. like, yeah, already I'm liking it, what you're putting out there. Um, as I'm listening, listening to this Real Dictators podcast and it's seems to be written and I, I don't know too much about, about Marxism or anything like that, but it seems to be driven by this like manifesto, the, the Marxist manifesto that I haven't read. Jeff's read it, but he's kind of given me bits and pieces. And he's like, it's pretty good. Like on the surface or even depthy, it's very good. And you can see how people, when they're in, when they're in a revolutionist mindset, which is where a lot of these dictators stemmed from, like severe poverty or neglect, that they wanted a utopian society. And that's how all this shit started in China and Russia and Haiti and all of that. And it's interesting because I think we're coming across another point where let's say Trump was reelected. Like I, part of me was disappointed that he wasn't because I was like, where would that have taken us? You know, part of me is disappointed that um, we're like, let's say this is rock bottom for the COVID situation and it's just going to kind of like go up from here, I would be a little bit disappointed because like we haven't felt really what the severity is of everything that's going on. And I know I'm talking a little bit like generally speaking, but there's a, a part of me that like wants to know or is very curious as to like, if we really, if our status quo did get really funky, what are we capable of creating? Right. Right. Well, you know, I think the only thing more unfortunate about being visited by the pain teacher is not learning the lesson. And I think that right now we're not learning the lesson, which is why I think we're not at the bottom. I think, for example, right, you look at the lockdown and stuff. People have all these opinions about it. And unfortunately, ideology means you can't look at opinions by themselves. You can't look at situations and issues by themselves. You have it built on all these other issues. So if you vote for Trump, that means you're also racist. That means mm -hmm. you also don't care about the environment. And then it goes back the other way toward the left as well, right? And so that's what an ideology is. And the problem with that is we have to, issues have to be taken on an individual basis. I mean, that's just, you, you cannot solve like issues that are nuanced and complex. And like, we're talking about the most deep human issues. And we say there's only A or B, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Is that it? Really? Is there only an A and, a and a B here? Or, do, or are there many more options and we're just being intellectually lazy and perpetuating systems that don't work and not learning from the pain teacher? So, so what you're proposing, what you've subscribed and what I also believe is that we need to create our, our lives centered around our value systems that are um, like unique to us more or less and rooted in like good levels of self-awareness. Um, it, do you know of a time in history where there was a society like that? Uh, it's so hard to it's so hard to tell. You know, for for one, we're not meant for static utopia. Like we're very contentious creatures, and so we do contend with our lives. And actually, potential doesn't it cannot be manifested in any other way. And so, you know, you we always say. And we see the person who's like covered in Cheetos dust playing video games in their mom's basement. And we're like, man, he had so much potential. It's like, no, no, that is not potential. Potential is a gift you get for engaging with life. You run a 5k and then you have the potential to run more, right? This is how potential works. It's a dig. It's a well that we dig for resources. Um, 
And I know that's a little off base from your question, but I think one, it's hard to know what our potential is. And also we've, we've now evolved from these tribe societies to egalitarian to now this other weird, like global connectedness. So, Mm. so we haven't been in a world like this is kind of what I'm getting at. You know, you would be so hard to figure out how my small business in South Dakota is related to a guy eating in a wet market in China, but now we know it is right. And so we are all integrally connected in this way. Um, And so, yeah, I I say that just to say, like, I, I don't know. I'm sure that, tribal societies have figured out how to live in harmony with themselves and with the world. Um, but at the same time, they weren't exposed to this myriad of complex issues that we are now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that, that sounds like a situation that I haven't heard before. Um, and I've gone digging for it because not like I'm, I'm not trying to create the new utopia, but the reason why we do this type of work and a hop on a mic is because we know that there's something better that could happen right could be be (laughs) better there is more it feels like could be better and i want to do my due diligence to find out why these um these revolutionists that had these really like solid ideals at the beginning that were true to them why they turned out so wrong right it would be silly for us to not look at them and just be like don't worry i got to figure it out because i want what's best for people um but now what, what I'm finding that's different than us being cult leaders <laughs> uh, is, uh, well, lots of things, I hope, but um, mostly that it's like, believe what's true to you. And that has, as far as I know, not been true for other like communist, communist dictators who want more equality to start with every, for everything, you know, or like they want things to be um, for people to have a certain quality of life a better quality of life, I guess, in some instances. Um, So like, maybe you can run us through how you help people identify what is most important to them so they can start to design their lives more more earnestly around that concept and like what's actually important to them. Totally. So, you know, we talk about in the trials course, we do a lot of this work on figuring out values and stuff. And, And the reason is like, again, value is kind of like love. It seems like this abstract thing. And it's like, no, no, this is your roadmap to a meaningful life. If your actions come into alignment with your values, you will have the subjective sense of meaning that it's all worth it. That's what that means. And it doesn't happen a different way. So I think what we're trying to do is we're given these cultural values and then we're trying to figure out how to fit in them. And we really don't. And so we have all this dissonance and some of them we do. And when you have enough overlapping values, that's how a society thrives and is okay. Right. But if we're not honest about our values that are divergent and we don't support those in our lives, we have dissonance, we don't have meaning. And so looking at your life and figuring out what do you intrinsically value? That's independent of what you've been told to value. Like that's the first thing that has to happen. And now the next thing to understand is you can say stuff all day, but what you believe to be true is what you live out in the world. That's your deepest belief. You, you can tell yourself you love you. You can tell yourself you have faith. If you don't live in accordance with those things, it's not true. It's just something you're telling yourself. And so that can be a really difficult thing. So I say, you know, scan your life, inventory your life for what it says about what your values are. 
right? And so this is why we do, we go through our bank accounts and we go through our bookshelf. What kind of books are you reading? What, how are you investing in yourself? What, what are you spending your money on? See, because if I look at your, your individual value list and health is number two, and then I look and you've eaten the last three meals out of 7-Eleven, we have a dissonance here. Like we're not living in accordance with the things we say we value. Now, the good thing about life is it'll give you instant feedback. So figure out what your values are, bring your actions into alignment with them. And if they're not your real values, your life will tell you, you won't have that sense of meaning, you know? And so it's, it's difficult work because we have all of these evolved cognitive biases to lie to ourselves and to tell ourselves that we're better positioned than we are and to make ourselves feel better and to pretend to protect our sense of self. And so you've got to kind of do your digging and push through those things and be willing to be honest about what you're finding. Mm. I would imagine that some people listening are living lives that are outdated, you know, like they made sense. They, they went through the journey, like you were talking about where they needed to achieve a certain amount of things and go so far on the path before they realize, okay, there's something wrong. What is one of the big leaps that needs to happen when you first realize that? Or maybe it's a baby step. Yeah, well, I think the first thing is you feel uh, what Henry David Thoreau said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. I would say that most modern people lead lives of quiet desperation. Now, the key is when you feel that quiet desperation, that is your soul. That is your, the deepest, the depth of who you are telling you that it could be different, it could be better. Now, the adventure, I think, is figuring out why. Most people don't, again, because of all the things we've talked about on this podcast, it takes away your sense of coherence. It takes away so many things. And then not only that, you know, in this world, we, it's very interesting. We, we really don't allow people to pivot in this world socially. I mean, you can do it, right? You're free to do it. But like when you go to pivot in your job or something, you are instantly met with fear on all sides and also with people that look at you like you're throwing your whole life away. So I was in the military for 12 years. You get a retirement at 20 years and every single person I I looked to for guidance said your past 10 years, you should finish. And then it just hit me that like the best advice I could get is be miserable for the next eight years. (laughs) like my thirties, like don't do the thing you want to do because you're so close to what money, like, what are we even living for? What are we talking about? And so (laughs) being super honest with yourself, I think about that quiet desperation and then, and then being open, you know, and one of my, the latest book, I say, you know, seek the truth, speak from your heart, but then have the courage to be open to whatever emerges from that place. And that's the adventure of a lifetime. That's who you're meant to be. Um, but you have to, you have to be open to that. You know, you have to be open to the fact that nobody else has your answers. Would you consider yourself a very like feely person? Uh, no. Yeah. So I wouldn't either. And I always thought that that was very interesting how depthy you can get with this work and not be a very emotion forward type of person. How Mm. did you get there? Like, how did you get to this? You represent a lot of, of men and women. And I would say a lot of men mostly who aren't going to go to a, a a group therapy session or a women's circle, whatever that would be for men to get in touch with your feelings and then to find sense of those feelings in that way. I mean, I guess now that I'm talking through this, you put yourself in a lot of situations where you felt the feelings. Your 
was a 200 mile run that you did with body armor. Was that your process? I don't mean to answer this for you, but I'm just trying to piece together how a man like you gets to the root of feelings or feels of feels. Uh, I see. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's, I think that's lifelong work. And in our culture, men specifically just aren't taught to articulate their feelings. Like that's the actual problem. And I was listening to a, a, a neuroscience, a, a doctor of neuroscience talk the other day. And he was saying like, basically it, you don't, if you do not use it, you do lose it. Like when it comes to our being able to articulate feelings. And so one of the reasons he was kind of talking about how suicide is so, it's just so prevalent. It's just growing and growing, and growing. We don't know why. Well, one of the reasons for men specifically is, or that happens to men specifically is if you grow, if you grow up and you're not taught, taught to articulate what you went through, like, what was your day like? How did that make you feel? Are you comfortable to sit in that feeling? Like we're not taught that at all. Right. It's mm-hmm. just, how was your day? Good, bad. You know, like there's, it's very like polarity driven. It's not, there's not a lot of nuance. And so because of that, you don't know what you're feeling. And so the further you march into life without being able to articulate what you're feeling, you get further and further from being able to do so. And so I think, first of all, again, just being open to the fact that you probably feel things that you aren't able to articulate. Journaling has been really helpful um, for that for me. And journaling without judging yourself, like if you absolutely hate the status of your life right now, being super honest about that, like nobody can change their life from a place of delusion. So you have to be grounded in reality. Um, and I think that has opened the door for me is this like stream of consciousness journaling, just writing, writing, writing without judging, without correcting, without stopping. And it does help sort of get my internal con- contents out in the world a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is I was on these adventures, you know, I, a couple 200 mile runs. And I mean, I, once a year, I'll do some, some kind of adventure that like puts my back against the wall in a way that I know I need to. So all my adventures, for example, up until last year had been supported. And I realized how much I support, I needed people to be like in my aid station and stuff and how much I relied on that. So then I did this bike ride in the winter with no support. And, and it's just to like, it's to put myself in that position. But in these moments of like sheer exhaustion and like, don't know how I'm going to get out of this, I started to notice that there's like, there's still another option. Like there is, there's another reality below the reality you're telling yourself essentially. And so it was starting to want to explore that. It's like, there's the moment we're all in that we're talking and things are happening and we have our perceptions and our judgments. But I had the sense that maybe below that moment was something more real or something that you could tap into. And I think that that's your soul. I think that's, that's what that is. And so it was putting myself in positions, you know, you're right. I couldn't go sit around a fire and like talk about my feelings. I would have never got there, but through physical endurance, through physical exhaustion, what happens is all of your coping mechanisms, all of your personas, every hour you're out there, they get pulled away one by one. And so I noticed the first ultra I ran, it was only mile 44, but it was brutal. And I came in and my girlfriend's like, how are you doing? And I just started crying. Like I had no filter, no nothing. And so, uh, you know, for me, it was actually like, again, manually, like living my way into this, but then not like wiping my tears away. I'm fine. It's like, I don't know what's wrong actually, (laughs) you know, and now, well, good. You have 63 miles to figure it out. And so, um, yeah, again, it's just being honest and also being honest about, you know, who you are. Like I said, like I'm into adventure. I love that lifestyle. And so, I don't necessarily need to go do it the way other people have done it. Another thing that you had talked about, which I thought was really interesting that I wanted to get into is something that you call fear work. 
Mm-hmm. And that also can touch on what you were saying earlier about healing not always being a, a soft and easy way of getting to the other side of suffering. Can you tell me a little bit about what, what fear work is and the way that you do it? Yeah, totally. So I, okay, so first let's start, we'll start with the meditation. Actually, no, first I'll tell you why I think it's important. When COVID kicked off, I couldn't, I've never felt fear like I did then, mm-hmm. but I couldn't figure out why. Like I didn't feel scared. Like there's a gun in my face scared. I just, I don't know. I felt tight. I felt tense. I felt like my immune system was trash. I I really hated it. And I didn't know. And so it it led me into this fear work anyway. So, you know, you have to Mm -hmm. sit with your fears long enough to find out what their real name is, first of all. And, And so one of the meditations I found that was massively beneficial is you go somewhere like an aquarium or something and find something that really like freaks you out or scares you, a snake or spider or something. Uh And you stand in front of it and look at it and you study what that feels like in your body. What, where is that fear showing up? Where is it? What's it feel like? What's it causing you to do? And then you, you do a couple of things. One, you, as you feel that fear, you want to flee, but it's perfectly safe to feel fear. And this is our problem is we don't know that, right? We, when we feel fear, we're like, okay, we have to get out. No, it's an informational input and it's perfectly safe maybe the thing that you're scared of, but that's a different decision. If you run from fear your whole life, the fear will get bigger and you'll get smaller. Fundamentally, that's what will happen to your psyche. And so if you can study what it feels like in your body, the reason the guy that told me to do this, he said, you know, basically, because if you don't, you, that fear will control you your entire life and you won't know what it feels like. So it'll be pulling the puppet strings. And so that's what I started to do is I would start to do this. And so now whenever I'm in a situation where I'm, I feel fear, I mean, shut the lights off and don't bolt out of the room, right? Like just be in pitch darkness or like when I'm out on a run, sometimes I'll like run through this little valley that's super dark. And instead of continuing, I stop and I just feel it. And sometimes it gets really intense and I'm like, it's like getting worse, but it's (laughs) perfectly safe to feel fear. And what happens is when you start to notice what that feels like in your body, you'll start to feel it in your life. You'll turn on the news and you're like, whoa, what's that? And see, we, like fear, gun in your face fear, that's, that's like fight or flight acute kind of thing. But actually the thing that runs our life is more like a slow drip. And if you take an IV of morphine over the course of an hour, you're not going to feel the drip. You'll just all of a sudden be high on morphine. That's what's happening here. It's like, we don't feel the fear. So we don't know where it's coming from. And so we don't know that we're living our lives based on this fear. Mm -hmm. And so if you can start to feel what it feels like in your body, then you'll start to notice it through your everyday life. And then you can start getting to the bottom of what's really going on. So for example, in my, with my whole like pandemic edition of fear, I, (laughs) I realized, oh, everyone's talking about death out there. Right. But I don't think my best works out yet. Like I'm afraid to die without my best work having been completed. And so, okay, so now we, now we know what's really happening. So now we have the, now what can you do about that? So now's the time to be honest. And what can you do about that? You can, you can work more diligently on your work. You can, you can take control of what you're here to do. And that's all you can do. You cannot do more than that. There's this interesting line in the Bible where Jesus says, which one of you could add even a minute to your life, a moment to your life by worrying? And it's like, man, 
because worrying hits a lot of diminishing returns rather quickly. Like you, mm. you worry, you do what you can for that fear. But if you stay in that place, you're not, it's diminishing. You're not, you're not doing your work. You're not, you're not doing anything. You're just living in accordance with that fear. It's running the, the show. And so I do think it's really important in order to take control of your life. You have to be able to um, feel that fear in your body and have coping mechanisms for it. Like that are healthy, that serve you, that tell you, because now it's like, whereas I was getting up and checking the news to see what was happening with this whole coronavirus thing. It's like, actually, since my fear is about not doing my best work up until noon, I don't do anything besides my best work. Like I just work on that because that's the only thing I can actually do. And so, yeah, I'm just a, a fan of it leading you to a deeper understanding of yourself. Wow. That is real. Okay. So walk me through this then. I'm uh, Jeff and I just bought this really cool Can-Am. It's so sick. <laughs> oh, dope. Like a side-by-side? -side? Yeah. It's so fun. And uh, we'll, we live on the edge of the desert here in Phoenix. And so we just like go a couple streets over and then we're just in the middle of nowhere pretty much. And we'll drive several miles out and there's no lights. And every once in a while he'll turn off our lights and it'll be at night. And it's so scary, dude. I don't even need to be out in the middle of nowhere in the dark to be afraid, really. Mm -hmm. Like even when I have to go <laughs> to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of like afraid of the dark a little bit. Totally. Right, right. So that's what, that's the moment. Okay. So, so let's say I go out into the middle of the desert or I'm standing in my bathroom <laughs> and, <laughs> and I get that sense of fear of the dark. Okay. Um, what be in my brain for a moment or my body? What, what do I do now? It's perfectly safe to feel fear. Okay. And so, but I'm not the one that needs to believe that when I'm with, when you're standing in the bathroom. Right. And so that's the narrative. That's the first thing, because that's right. So you feel yourself, you're like sprint out of here, mm -hmm. but then you remind yourself that it's perfectly safe to feel fear. It's not something you have to run from. It's not a decision you have to make. It's fear brings an informational input and tells you, Hey, there's something out there that killed people that are like you. And so you should mm -hmm. be aware of it. That's it though. It's not more than that until we let it be. And so one, reminding yourself that it's safe to feel fear. Number two, uh, what, what am I feeling then? Where is this coming from? And then now the real work is starting to begin. Mm, okay. So let's just say, because I haven't gotten this far in this fear experiment, that I'm feeling it in a very specific part of my body, like my throat. My throat is often a place where I'm feeling constriction or some kind of thing, which is the reason why I'm doing a podcast is that I know my voice is a part of the fear that I have. So let's say that's the thing. Then when, I, when it comes time for integration, which is always that period after you do something scary, like, like your long runs or you sit with plant medicine or you go through the process, what is the, how do you learn from that? Is it a cognitive process of piecing it apart or is it just more reps of sitting with the feeling? So I think that I would love to say it's a cognitive process because I'm such an analytical person, but unfortunately, <laughs> like life is both thought and action and your reality is a combination of the two. And so that's why you fundamentally can't think your way out of your problems, right? You have to think about it, 
but then you've got to go live it in the world and wait for feedback. And so, yeah, I think it's a matter of sinking into your body when you feel that fear and in learning that your body is a safe place to be when you're scared, because that's the right, that's the real rub here. That's what's making you flee, escape and do all these different things. And so you've got to relearn how to feel safe in your own skin. And that I think fundamentally just is a matter of feeling that feeling in, in contending with it, right? Like sometimes maybe you shut it off and you're in the bathroom and you're like, I can't fucking do this. And you run out, right? It's like, okay, well, next time try to get longer. It's, it's a process. It's not like you're not going to be healed. When people have agoraphobia, for example, and they're afraid to leave their house, right? They don't, the fear doesn't go away. And this is the problem. We wait for our fear to go away so that we can start the podcast, so that yeah. we can do the business. But fear does not go away. It actually grows. It, you get smaller. And, but the antidote to fear is more courage. And so you increase your courage, which brings the size of that fear down in comparison to self. And that's what allows you to go. And so if you listen to a clinical psychologist, for example, talk about how they deal with agoraphobia, they'll walk them first through visualizing taking a step outside and then going back in and realizing, okay, we're safe. And then maybe it's two steps. And then maybe you get to the point where you're actually opening the door and you're looking at that step. And then maybe you take a step outside and, and now the fear is coming. And so you remind yourself, you increase your courage. You remind yourself that, it, that you are safe in this position. And that process just keeps getting more and more expanded. But then the opposite of that is, and this is what I'm afraid of with this pandemic, is we're teaching people to hide from what we're scared of. Now, as a, as a way of getting through your life, that's terrible advice. Couldn't be worse. Right? Because if you hide from something, it will get bigger and you will get smaller psychologically. And so we're teaching people to live based on fear. And the problem with that is you will feel more and more constriction in your life if you, if you allow fear to have the narrative. For example, let's say that you're afraid of rejection. That's a common fear people have. Mm -hmm. well, Dude, that is my fear. My number one one. Thank you for knowing that. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So in the last year, how many times have you been rejected? Uh, I, nothing comes to mind really. <laughs> Not one? Um, hmm. Yeah. It's pretty okay. frequent. Okay. Now how often is the fear of rejection around you? <laughs> pretty frequently. <laughs> okay. Frequently. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is exactly right. So the thing that you're scared of is not your problem. The problem is that, well, if you allow fear to drive you, it's always around and it only gets more. It's actually only information. So if you took that information and put it in your proper place, the actual problem that you have, which is being rejected, you one time, maybe this year or something along those lines. And so the problem is when, though, when we act on the fear and not the thing itself, the fear grows, it gets bigger and we get smaller. And so we have less restriction because if you have to avoid every situation in which you might be rejected, which is exactly what would happen if you let fear drive completely, mm -hmm. that is constant in your life. So there are many things that are off limits to you because you, you cannot do them. You cannot go mm -hmm. there. And so maybe you also have a fear of intimacy. And so maybe you can't go there either. Even though being intimate with somebody is like kind of, you know, if you're single or something, it's kind of rare or whatever. Do you see what I'm saying though? Like it's mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. all of these fears, if if we let the information be the thing that drives, instead of just taking it as objective information, we, we will feel more constriction because it will grow and we'll get smaller. And so we have to learn to increase courage in the face of what we're afraid of. And that's a bit, mm. bit about living our way through it. And so the point of this fear work though, 
is to continue to learn how to walk your way up there. And so that way, when you are in a really massive meeting and you're pitching for funding of the SFE or something, you'll feel that fear and you've, tr- you've talked to yourself about how to walk through that experience. And so what that does is it takes you from that place of chaos and puts you back into that place of the known. Does that make sense? And so if you, when you're just absolutely scared and you have no way of how to deal with that, you are in chaos, right? If I just, if we're in a building and someone puts a gun in your face, you're not in a building anymore. You're in chaos. Like you're in a, you are, do not know where you are. And, but so if you can train yourself to, to think through and walk through the fear, you bring the order back to your life. And then you can be effective in a situation where maybe you're going to be rejected, but maybe you have to get rejected eight times in order to be successful where you want to be. But if you're, if you allow that fear to run your life, that's an off limits meeting for you. So this is a really awesome time for people then really, I mean, it's like a, if you weren't going to proactively put yourself into a shakeup of your entire life, then this is uh, quite the surprise party, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've learned um, so much about myself through this pandemic. I hate it and I want it to be over and I, all the things everybody else probably is as well. And I also feel so much for the suffering because there's so much suffering going on right now. And I hate that. Um, mm-hmm. But as I said, sort of at the beginning of this podcast, just let it push you into a deeper experience of being human. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't tell yourself that healing is not feeling. You actually want to go through this. And if you do, what's on the other side, it's like figure out what you're the most afraid of. The thing that you're probably here to do on earth is somewhere in the vicinity of that, unfortunately. Um, and so it it is worth doing this work because imagine, you know, whatever your biggest fear is, it's like, if you're able to confront that and move through it, there's so much meaning in that place. Like you're able to give to people what, what people can give to you. Like there's so much power in that. And so I think right now, allowing your suffering, allowing your pain, allowing your confusion to push you into something deeper, you know, sometimes I think. Or for example, you'd see someone that hated their boyfriend and then they break up and they get drunk and call him and all they're thinking about is all the good things. And like right now, it's like what you really need in that moment with someone to hold up like a slide reel and show you all the things you didn't like about this person and that you don't actually want the relationship back. Same thing right now with COVID. Like a bunch of people's lives were not working for them, but it gets mm-hmm. taken and it's like, oh, I just want it. You know, you just want my life back. It's like, no, you don't. You don't, you want something better than what you had. And you actually have an opportunity to get it, but you've got to stay in the pain. You've got to stay in the suffering. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. I like that. Cool. Um, so to kind of close this off here, how, how do you imagine society or people could be different? And I'm, I'm talking on a collective level, at least for the Western world, because that's all I can speak to really. If, if we all did this work throughout this time and then hallelujah, we're open back up and then people can create their own lives. Like what, how do you, how would that be different than what it was before? Well, I don't think that there will be peace in the world until like the human has peace in their heart. I mean, I think it's, we're projecting our inner world and we're so unaware of our inner world that we don't understand it. It's like, you know, it's, it's almost ludicrous to think something like war and almost wiping ourselves off the face of the earth every like 50 years since we figured out the nuke is like, that's what sanity is right now. Right. And so I think it's recognizing that we have to, we've tried, and we're trying to do the outside work. Like we're trying to change other people. We're trying to do the political thing and it's not lending itself anywhere. And it's like, yeah, because your solution is at the center of who you are. And so I think that if people could 
sit with their values and learn to like really create a, a meaningful life for themselves. Like that in itself, like you realize when you're really in your purpose and you're in your in alignment with what you value in the world and you're being somebody that by your own definition you actually like your life looks much much different like things look much much different like i'm i'm really not concerned with the fighting between the blue and the red right now when i'm like working on my book or you know whatever mm-hmm. so and so i think it's a it's a matter of like realizing like you're responsible for who you are in this world, but you're not responsible for anything else. That's good and bad news. You know, you get to own your problems and you get to fix them and you don't get to fix other people's problems. And that's what we're like, how can we change them? How can we, Mm -hmm. it's gotta be you. If it starts with you, if it starts at this individual level, and then we can build out from there into our family and into our community and into our, you know, country and who knows what the actual capabilities of our of our potential as human beings are. I mean, we put a person at the moon and we can't stop fighting for two seconds. Like we could do great things maybe, but I think we have to have peace with ourselves first. Mm. God, I suck at ending this podcast because like that would be a perfect place to end, but I want to ask another question. <laughs> yeah, it is. So you were talking about war and like coming from an ex-soldier and I also come from a military family. We know that war brought meaning to a lot of people's lives, you know, mm-hmm. fighting for something. And I think that that's why we, a lot of people find this pleasure in the fight against the red or the blue, just to yes. keep on that example. Yes, yes, because we're contentious um, creatures. And then you'd said, but courage, but courage can get you above that anger or that fighting. Can we end off with some practical, actionable way to get you beyond the, the, war like if you find yourself being contentious with other people like i would ask you i would i would ask you like are there things in life that you could contend with that would actually make your life better not worse right and so yeah you do find meaning in fighting because we are creatures that fundamentally like to contend and if i mean there's i don't think peace is going to be a thing that happens in this world i I really just i think that we're too dug in and we're too in our shadows and we don't know about it and like we don't understand the problem and and so maybe it will maybe it won't uh, but I think you ask action steps. Yeah. Or not, you know, whatever. Yeah. Whatever no, I think, <laughs> right. Right. No, I think you should ask yourself, what's the one thing that you know you should be doing that you're not doing. That's what you need to contend with right now. That's the thing to ask yourself, sit down for five minutes and ask yourself, what's the one thing I know I should be doing. I know I should do next and I'm not doing it. You'll get an answer. You might not like it, but you will get an answer. That's your fight. That's the thing you need to contend with. Awesome. Rick, thank you so much for sitting down with me this morning. Morning coffee with Rick. I love it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I don't think we had mentioned this. I'll bring it up at the beginning. But right when this podcast launches, December 1st, Tuesday on yeah, 2020, um, we're launching the final cohort of 2020 for the trials. It's our 12-week program for men, and it helps with really discovering what's meaningful to you at this moment. It's helpful for you to go through this program, even if you've done this work a year ago, because you're a different person now. And that's what I love about this program is like the timelessness of it. A lot of the guys that have gone through it have done it again because they've discovered who they were at that moment. They relayed their new mission, had gotten some headway in accomplishing that, and then realized, oh, there's more dimensions to this. And so they like started over. So it's it's really cool. Rick teaches the the uh, mindset portion of that course. So if you guys are interested in checking that out, you can go to wayoftrials.com and 
it'll be open from the 1st through the 11th of December. So you guys can, um, you can enroll at any time then. And then we close enrollment and then the class begins. Yeah. And there's a community and that's super important. I've like really like, since I've been breathing life into the community and into myself, I'm realizing how important that is to like have other people that are on a similar mission because when you suffer and you will suffer when you in life, there's a lie from suffering and it's that you're alone in this. And so to be with other people that are going through the same sort of discomfort process of finding authenticity can be super helpful. Thanks, Rick. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Shed